Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Everything's fine. I got it all under control, and nobody needs to move. I'm sorry, Ted? Yes. Is it Ted? Did Ted make an appointment? No, I just worked on the hall. No. On. Well, then Ted can get the hell out of this office. You get the hell out! Conversations about collaboration, episode 62. Sabine M. joins me today. She's a research manager at Logati. We talk about the future of the office, how much space companies actually need, ideal configurations, sensors, privacy, and a bunch of other topical stuff. Let's rock! Sabine, where does this pod find you? I'm in Zurich, Switzerland, and today actually was a quite, or still is, a quite beautiful day. The sun's out, and there's a blue sky. <laughs> I think that you're my first international guest. You're going to add an air of, um, what's the right word, um, elegance to the show. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> an international flavor. Um, but I would love to talk to you about the office, it's something that's come up on a couple of episodes for the show. And um, the way I see it in the past, it wasn't necessarily efficient, but we all knew the rules, right? You had a certain number of employees, you expected them to come in, you needed a certain amount of um, square footage. You know. Well, now that's not necessarily the case. So what do we do? And I did some research prepping for this pod, and it seems to me like a lot of things vary. Right? How much office space do we have? How much do we need? Who's in? Who's out? What do people actually do in the office? What kind of configuration or configurations, plural, would we need? Um, I think that's where you come in. So those are big questions, but at a high level, uh, based on the work that you're doing at Locati, uh, talk a little bit about how companies are, are framing this and you're helping them. Yeah, so I mean, this is kind of like my day by day thinking about what the the office and I actually want to make it wider what the workplace is going to be because there's new options like you hinted at um, that people can choose from and that kind of presents a challenge to organizations now to figure out what their offices should be in terms of um, the right footprint of an office because you don't want to keep a big office stock just because maybe you have the money to pay the rent, but it's just not sustainable. We know that um, buildings have a really high impact on CO2 emissions and it's just not efficient to keep them vacant. Um, but during the pandemic, because we couldn't do other ways, um, you couldn't allow people to return to the office. So the one dimension is like right sizing. What do you need in terms of size? And the other question that, that companies are tapping into is like, what's actually going to happen in the office in the future? Because when we, like the way the office has evolved, like coming back from the industrial revolution, it's been rows and rows of desks organized sometimes like in the open pool. Then we had the single offices. Then some point in time, there were cubicles introduced Then everything went away again. We have open plan. But what never changed was like, there was rows and rows of desks so that everybody would have a seat. But now we're realizing 
people can do focus work at home if they have the right setting, if companies support them with ergonomical and tech equipment. So the expectation to some degree is that people will come to the office more for the collaborative part, for being creative, for connecting with their colleagues, for gathering, for building the community and culture of the company, these kind of things. And the way Locati, where I um, work, plays into that is that um, it's covering occupancy data from network connections, which is kind of um, very little intrusive because that's data that companies already have. So we tap into that. And then this um, data can tell you how many people do come to the office and when they come to the office, where do they go? Do they um, go to a desk or do they go to a collaboration area? Do they go to a meeting room? And how much time do they then spend there? How mobile are they in the workplace? Which variety of workplace types do you need? And all these kinds of questions that I probably could talk about all day long, but I won't. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you on because you and your company are working at this intersection of data analytics and the office as well as the future of work. And I think about just that simple example using, um, I guess it would work with a Fitbit, but I've got an Apple watch. If I'm sitting on a sofa too long during the day, it'll tell me, get up. Uh, And that's a very simple example, but in theory, you're supposed to stand a certain number of times or a certain amount of time during the day. But yeah, I think about it without being terribly intrusive, using that data to inform decisions about so many things, right? Maybe you only have an area for 10 desks, right? Or specifically don't want to put desks in there because A, nobody uses them and B, you want people to do that type of work at home. Uh, If you're in the office and have an opportunity to meet your colleagues for the first time, well, maybe you shouldn't stay there with your head down answering emails for three hours. Yeah, what I think as well is... um that uh, going to the office now for employees is kind of a time investment or seen more as a time investment because it takes away from the time you can spend with your family, doing your hobbies. It is a longer um, commute, basically, than going from your bedroom uh, with a little detour over the bathroom to the computer screen. Um, So the office needs to add this experience to their lives so that they want to go there and invest that time. I sometimes compare that to to Instagram, actually, because, you know, there's these places that people keep going to to take one picture. Like, I think there's this, um, this little town in Italy, like Positano and Instagram um, influencers keep going there taking pictures, although I've heard from plenty of friends and colleagues that it's not even that interesting. It's just for the little cute picture with the colorful houses in the back. So the office needs to become that experience that employees do want to go to, not necessarily to take a picture for Instagram, but they don't want to miss it. They don't want to miss out on it. And one other thing that I found really interesting, what you said, was actually about the Fitbit part. So we're currently mostly looking at using occupancy data to inform corporate real estate 
um, managers, workplace, planners, these kind of uh, profiles and well, organizations kind of, but actually making that data available to the employees themselves as a consumer of space could be really interesting as well, because I do think a lot of the things that's happening and how people are using the space is not really um, necessarily happening consciously. And it's not um, like a conscious choice. And even, I mean, actually, I know of studies where people, where we had like asked people how mobile they perceived they were, how many workspaces they used during the day. And we mirrored that. I mean, it was done anonymously in a certain kind of grouping. We mirrored that with the occupancy data we had. And what we found was people widely overestimated how mobile they were. So they ended up actually not being very mobile in going from space to space, but actually sticking to the area that they sat in in the morning. Yeah, it, the possibilities are absolutely fascinating. And you touched on a couple of things that I want to explore. Um, one is this notion of the office being a clubhouse. Um, there was this article I read in the Wall Street Journal about making it not necessarily a place to party, but a place that you would want to visit as opposed to have to visit. I'll let you respond. And I've got one other idea. No, that's absolutely what I meant with that Instagrammable Positano effect. It's like that you're not missing out and that you want to be with your, with your colleagues. I mean, I can make this personal example. So today I decided to stay at home because I, um, had like a seminar in the morning and I knew this recording was going to happen. So I knew I wouldn't have time to actually spend with my colleagues and it didn't really make sense to go to the office, but uh, the company's on Slack. So I know what was happening in the office, right? So it's like, okay, we're going for lunch. There's the food truck. Who's in? And then there's as well, like anybody in for after work drinks of like, oh man, now I'm at home and I'm not part of right. it kind of. Yeah, and I like how you mentioned Slack as well, because even if we go back to partial synchronous in-person work, we still want to use those tools because we'll be bobbing in and out, right? I mean, it's I actually am pretty bullish on the future of collaboration hubs like Slack, Microsoft Teams, and Zoom. Even if you know, COVID went away tomorrow, um, this is just a better way of doing things. Um, and I would argue that, you know, it would complement in-person stuff. And I know Zoom's working on tools um, for hybrid meetings that would save them, make them searchable, um, translation services. That way it's, yeah, what happened? So-and-so, I don't want to watch a one-hour highlight of a meeting or a one-hour replay of a meeting, but could I just watch the 10 minutes of highlights irrelevant to me in marketing or whatever? Yeah. And I mean, I've mentioned, I was in the seminar this morning and these seminars, they used to be, on site, but because of the current limitations, it's been moved to the virtual world. And like the feedback actually was that people preferred that opposed to um, going on site because yes, it's um, a little harder to do the networking part, although they solved it very well with like um, doing exercises still in breakout rooms and everybody introducing themselves and having chats and these kind of things and interactive using really this know that there was a zoom feature where you could like mark stuff on slides and put a stamp on things so that was really interesting to see but it's um offering an option not to travel someplace and like carve out three full days but it's just 
half a day. And in the breaks, you could, if you needed to necessarily, even check emails or the Slack and what was going on while, yeah, when you're on site, you need to be on and you can't be kind of multitasking things. Yeah. I mean, I can envision, and maybe some companies are already doing this or plan to do this when, when things cross my fingers, go back to, I won't say the old, but a new normal, you know, could you have a spin class right in the middle of the day, right? Take some of the square footage that you would apportion to traditional offices and build a locker and some showers, right? That way, yes, you are there to quote unquote work, but a big part of working is getting to know your colleagues. So you're not just a Slack avatar or an email address, you're a person, right? And you like to rock climb or get, get to know them a little bit the same way that you would have pre-pandemic going to lunch or having a hallway or elevator conversation. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that that is a very good point as well. Like of what the office still can be is like, providing the grounds for that kind of collision into interests of people. Like if you see somebody come in with wet hair, that's more like, okay, where did you go? And then um, you might find out a place about a place that's nearby that you haven't even heard of and find out about like a common interest that you have and that maybe you want to do together that necessarily does not happen on the collaboration tools as, as great as they are. I mean, you might see people with wet hair, but. <laughs> right. Well, it, it, I was just reading on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, how some companies have a dedicated Slack channel and you can do the same things in Teams or Zoom or Google Workspace. It doesn't really matter, but for completely unrelated topics, right. To work. Now that can get dangerous very quickly, as you know, but you know, so I think one was music, and they will put in, you know, Apple Music or Spotify recommendations. Or I just saw a concert last night. And it's completely unrelated. You don't have to subscribe, um, but it's a way of taking that break. And then if you were to see someone, maybe you did a music day, and people would come in into the office and see um, the people. Oh yeah, yeah, and they talk about the and develop those bonds, which hopefully would keep people at a company because they feel invested beyond just, yeah, I'm here to pick up a paycheck. If I can get 5% more, I don't have to move. Um, but I actually like my colleagues, but how can you like them if you don't get to know them? Yeah. I mean, that fully comes back to what is the office supposed to be and why do we need return to office? Because like that thinking of people need to go back to the desks because that's where they're supposed to be. That's the way it has always been. That's very short-sighted because um, what actually, if you look at employee retention, people don't stay at an employer because they have a great office or because they have a shitty office. It's one part of it is the work they do. Do Are they interested in that? Is that purposeful to them? Do they feel they make a contribution that counts? Is their contribution appreciated? And that appreciation actually leads me to another very important aspect. It's like, do I like my colleagues? Is my manager a good manager? Because that's what is um, what's making people stay or go and all these little things that's caring about one another, cutting one another some slack, allowing for breaks, allowing for a laugh. That's making it that much more of a great experience than like putting a slide in the office or offering free bagels or whatever. Yeah, I remember almost 25 years ago when I worked at Capital One in Human Resources, um, they looked at the employee survey results and one of the biggest surprises 
was the importance of managers in employee satisfaction and um, um, self-reported likelihood to leave the company. Um, That was enormous, right? I mean, again, if your manager is great, but you feel like you're not being paid anywhere near you should be, or your commute's two hours, then, you know, your manager is not going to make a difference. But if you hold those factors constant, um, I mean, it's it's fascinating to me how um, you could argue that the importance of a good manager now is even more, uh, is even greater because we've got all these different options. If we could work remote, we don't have to move, uproot our family, uproot our lives, right? We can, in theory, switch jobs almost seamlessly. And it's not necessarily only like your direct manager. You might have an amazing boss that you really get along with. I've had that situation in my life where my boss was fine. We came along really, really great. He believed in me. He wanted. How could anyone not believe in you? Oh, (laughs) well, thank you. But not everybody knew me at this point. But I mean, like in the organization, what then made me go was like that then the whole structure of it, like if you can't be promoted because you're not old enough. That was actually an argument because, and other people have been waiting longer enough. So like all these very old fashion structures, like it was very bureaucratic, the way your career needed to go kind of, and my manager couldn't really do anything about it because it was the system. And then when you look at an office, if you have an office now, that is these rows and rows of desks, all white and gray. I mean, the typical office is like this dark gray carpet, right? And the white metal tiled uh, ceiling and then ideally white desks and like gray chairs. It already doesn't sound very exciting. You're describing my personal hell. Yes, (laughs) I think I'm describing the hell of many people. It's like, if this is your office, this is what your company is kind of um, vibrating out to everyone. This neutral kind of very uh, fact-based kind of thing. I've I've talked to someone and I love that comparison. She said the office is kind of the body language of um, the company. Because, yes, it is subconsciously giving you a notion of what the culture is and what the values are. What is the company investing in? And I followed another really great presentation from an um, architect who said as well, if you're creating space and you, for example, create the lobby, this is supposed to be a welcoming area. So it should radiate being welcome. Why is there a high counter? This is a barrier between people, kind of. How can we really make it in a way that it shouts, you're welcome here to you without, um, like, people saying it? How can that be um, shown in the design? And that's how we need to look at the office now as well. How can the office be this cool place that I want to come together and be with my colleagues? Are you familiar with the company Zappos? I've heard of them, yes. Okay. So they, I think Amazon bought them in 2012 for $1.1 billion. And, and Tony Shea, who's actually passed away, I think it was about a year ago, unfortunately, um, used to let people come in and do tours. And I remember when I lived in Las Vegas, that's where the company headquarters were. 
going in and just being amazed that yes, there were cubicles, but even the CEO didn't have an office, but there were um, stuffed animals and his particular cube looked like a jungle with all sorts of leaves. And there were all sorts of free books for employees. He'd, he'd find one that he'd like and buy you know, hundred copies or something. And he encouraged the tours. And it was very much a window into the company's culture because you'd see employees in t-shirts and tattoos. And it almost looked like a college dorm uh, more than a, a company that Amazon bought for a billion dollars. Um, I, if I'm hopeful for the future and I'd like to be, I think, well, why couldn't that be more of an office, right? Versus sticking at home, which again, sometimes may make complete sense, but whether you have kids or pets or just need to meet with colleagues, a place like that is one that you'd want to visit. And you could make the argument that all things being equal, that could be an employee retention tool. Yes, it it definitely can. If it's done the right way, kind of, if it is that place where you're allowed to come and you don't need to put on a suit and tie to be appropriate in there. Because if you think about like, what are the offices, like if you think about pop culture as well, what are the offices that we're aspiring to, right? It's these lofty places. Everybody's wearing like cool things, kind of. You don't necessarily see it. I, I don't see a lot of people wanting to be in a cubicle in a suit. Nor, I see you and raise you when you talked earlier about open offices. Uh, when I was at Arizona State, they wanted to move us to them and the faculty just rebelled. How can you have a private conversation with a student in an open space, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, I want to return to Locati for a second and um, ask you if you could talk a little bit about, without revealing anything confidential, um, maybe an interesting finding from a client using some of the tools you mentioned, whether it was uh, data or sensors, um, but um, I was on the website and pretty amazed at some of the things you were able to find by studying how people move. Yeah. So let me think about, I mean, there's a couple of things. So one thing that I got amazed by early on when I started the company is like we did a case study with one of our customers, early customers well, and they used the data to make a lease decision. So this was very well prepared. So they knew the lease was coming up. They had a one-year termination period and they wanted to be well prepared. So they actually looked at one year of data. And that data led them to um, the decision that they could reduce the space by um, the area that they were able to give back. Because if you're handing back space, there's obviously always kind of restrictions because it needs to be a consecutive area that then the landlord can build a wall again and rent out to somebody else. You can't do that randomly. But they found out they could do that by obviously shuffling around things. And there was a there was also an investment in that because they needed to move um, furniture and, well, uh, do a little bit of cleaning, I guess, and maybe some painting, whatever the lease conditions were. But this was a minor investment and it allowed, allowed them to save 300,000 euros of lease cost or like um, a total cost of occupancy actually per year. And you, I think that's a sizable number. That is a lot. And what they handed back was only the space of 10 desks. Wow. So for 10 desks, that's what they got back. And I mean, you think about, and that's actually, I think most people in the industry know, but 
even before pandemic, if you looked at utilization data across, when we, we do that regularly, we look at it, or actually we do that uh, um, in a way that's running. Um, if you looked at occupancy of spaces, you were never at 100% because, of course, there's people on holidays, people sick, people at a trade fair, people at the customer side, people on a project. So you were like max at 80%. Mm. So And 20%, even if it was 10 spaces, that would already be worth looking into and um, making a change. Good stuff. I'll get you out of here on this, Sabine. What book are you currently reading? I am reading, um, I can't pronounce the name of the author, but she's amazing. The book's called um, The Reset. And it um, investigates, like, again, the ripple effect of, like, um, the change we're undergoing right now on um, us, so ourselves, but then as well businesses, um, communities, city, and societies, like, um, shedding light on each of these aspects. And I found it really, really fascinating. I will link to it in the show notes. Sabine, thanks so much for joining me. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you very much for having me. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, And how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However... If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.